This is KGNU's Morning Magazine for Wednesday, March 8th, International Women's Day of 2023. I'm your host, Shannon Young. Coming up on today's program, the city of Boulder has until the end of this week to respond to a lawsuit filed against it by the ACLU. We'll hear the details. Chris Moore will share his weekly commentary, Make Them Hear You, and then herbalist Brigitte Mars will bring us her regular Wednesday feature, Naturally. A commentary from Jim Hightower is at the bottom of the hour, then comes a public affair. Grief counselor Kim Mooney will be in for her quarterly program on death and dying. At 9.30, Cameron Henderson will be in the Boulder studio for the Morning Sound Alternative. That's all still ahead, but first, a look at the headlines with KGNU's Alyssa Palazzo. A preschool teacher wounded in a police shooting in downtown Denver last summer has filed a civil lawsuit against one of the officers present that night. Angelica Ray was among six bystanders shot by police in Denver's Lodo District as clubs and bars let out in the early hours of July 17th. Police say they were responding to what they thought was a gunman, but evidence thus far indicates Denver police officers were the only ones who fired weapons at the scene near 20th and Larimer Streets. The teacher, Angelica Ray, told Nine News she had been out that night to celebrate a recent promotion and that the gunshot wound she sustained caused a three-day hospitalization and months of missed work. The officer named in her civil suit, Brandon Ramos, is already facing 14 criminal charges related to the shooting incident. A Colorado woman accused of shooting her child's father and ex-boyfriend was found guilty of first-degree murder by a Boulder County jury yesterday. The jury received the case on Monday and deliberated for eight hours before reaching the guilty verdict. In October of 2021, Devin Shaner and co-defendant Andrew Ritchie, her then-boyfriend, were accused of plotting to kill Jason Schaefer while he was working for his job for the U.S. Postal Service. Schreiner shot and killed Schaefer next to his postal delivery van in southwest Longmont. Her charge means she will likely spend the rest of her life in prison. In April, her co-defendant will go to trial, facing charges of first-degree murder. The wide field of Denver's mayoral race means no one candidate has a majority of votes, but two candidates do clearly have a lead when it comes to fundraising. KGNU's Jake Crowley reports. Denver mayoral candidates Kelly Bro and Mike Johnson are leading in total contributions for campaign fundraising of over $5.3 million across 17 mayoral candidates. According to the Denverite, Kelly Bro, the former Denver Metro Chamber of Commerce CEO, is the first mayoral candidate in the race to receive $1 million in contributions. The Colorado Sun reports five of the 17 candidates have raised 73% of the total contributions. The remainder comes from Denver's Fair Election Fund Program. In 2018, Denver voters approved of the creation of the Fair Election Fund Program to publicly finance campaigns and promote fairness and equity in municipal elections. According to the City of Denver, the program is financed by individual donors and was created to reduce the influence of large donors on election campaigns. Ballots will go out to Denver voters as soon as next week. Election day is April 4th. For KGNU, I'm Jay Crowley. Garfield County Commissioners are once again expressing their disapproval of the effort to reintroduce wolves to Colorado. Aspen Public Radio's Caroline Yanas reports they've written a letter to the State Wildfire Commission detailing policies they think would be best in the wolf management process. 
Commissioners want to put the 10-J rule in place prior to the introduction of wolves to Colorado. That's a federal rule that allows reintroduced, quote, experimental populations of endangered species to be treated as if they were only threatened. It would allow people to kill wolves that attack livestock. The board also supported compensating livestock producers not just for cattle depredation, but for other livestock like sheep, alpacas, and goats. Commissioner Mike Sampson also supported producers being able to apply for itemized losses other than just the death of an animal. The killing of an animal, uh, it's not just that animal, it's the future of that animal and the future to reproduce and, and all of those things that go along with that. Also in the letter to the state, commissioners suggested that there be a wolf hunting season once the population number exceeds 1,500. Caroline Yanez, Aspen Public Radio News. The final wolf management plan will be approved by the Colorado Wildlife Commission in Glenwood Springs in early May. A Colorado coalition pursues tax code changes to fund child care, nursing, and education. KGNU's Rachel Letterman has the story. A group of nonprofits are joining forces to reform Colorado's state tax code. Growing Our Future Coalition wants to use taxpayer dollars to fund K-12 education, nursing, support for people with disabilities, and hospice care. The coalition is targeting Colorado's current flat income tax. They say a progressive income tax would fund necessary services. Melissa Mayers, director of Early Childhood Initiatives at the Colorado Children's Campaign, told Chalkbeat that they hope to form a vision for a much, much broader coalition than has ever tried before on tax reform measures. Leaders say they're still deciding what tax code changes they'll propose, but they hope to bring forth a statewide ballot initiative in 2024 or 2026. This is Rachel Lederman reporting for KGNU. Congressman Joe Nagoose introduced a bill yesterday to expand health care access to individuals whose Medicaid coverage is set to expire at the end of the pandemic-related public health declaration in May. The so-called Save Children's Coverage Act is the second in a string of bills introduced by the congressman who represents Colorado's second district. According to the Longmont Leader, Congressman Nagus has introduced 13 bills that became laws in the past two years, more than any other representative in the current congressional session, and passed more bills with bipartisan support. A Littleton seller on eBay listed an original bronze wall sconce from the Colorado State Capitol building for sale just under $8,000. The legislature's Capitol Building Advisory Committee the legislature's Capitol Building Advisory Committee wants the sconce back. A nonpartisan staffer for the committee, Jeanette Chapman, said last week in a hearing the 125-year-old fixture is, quote, clearly state property. The Longmont leader said the committee's ideas for the fixture's retrieval include repurchasing the sconce, sending Colorado State Patrol to seize the item, or asking the seller to donate the relic as a hefty tax write-off. The panel has yet to determine if the procurement of the sconce was legal. The listing on eBay prompted open committee debate regarding the pursuit of legislation to ease the process of historic item reclamation. For today's weather, expect a cloudy day in Boulder, Denver, and Longmont with temperatures in the high 30s. Bundle up this evening, there's a slight chance of snow before 8 p.m., followed by patchy snow and freezing rain until midnight with lows near 25 degrees. Little to no snow accumulation is expected. For KGNU, I'm Alyssa Palazzo.
You are listening to The Morning Magazine on KGNU. I'm your host, Shannon Young. The city of Boulder has until the end of this week to respond to a lawsuit filed against it by the ACLU of Colorado. The lawsuit alleges that the city's camping ban violates people's civil rights by ticketing them for sleeping outside with a blanket when they have nowhere else to go. The city has filed two motions to dismiss the case, but a district court's decision late last month will allow the case to proceed. The case could set a legal precedent for similar camping bans across the state. KGNU's Alexis Kenyon spoke with Colorado ACLU attorney Annie Kurtz about the recent decision to hear the case. Annie, so one of the central tenets that the ACLU's lawsuit addresses is something that you know, I think that a lot of people who are pro-camping ban may believe that this idea that the reason that people are sleeping in public spaces is not so much that there aren't any other resources, it's that they choose to be sleeping there and that they want to be sleeping in these public spaces. How does your lawsuit address this belief and what have you found? Yeah, so um, the argument is that it violates the Constitution's prohibition on cruel and unusual punishment to punish someone um, for sleeping outside on essentially the false premise that they have any choice in the matter. And so we have showed a lot of data that the city just doesn't have adequate space. But more than that, that even if there were theoretically an empty bed for someone to use, there are a whole bunch of barriers that might prevent a particular person from actually accessing that bed. So a ton of restrictions, right? People have to get into a lottery at a particular time during the day. Some people have pets, people with mental health conditions, trauma histories for whom the the shelter is inconsistent with their their needs. Um, And so something I really appreciate about the ruling is the recognition that it's not just about putting an extra mat down on the floor for someone, right? There needs to be shelter available that is uh, that is realistic. Um, and the city has rejected every opportunity to create alternatives for folks, safe camping, safe parking. They have settled with, we are going to address this issue by punishing the people that we've provided no options for. And so there needs to be shelter available that is that is realistic. And that is certainly something that, that doesn't exist in Boulder. Well, what about on these days when it's really cold? I'm always hearing about, you know, rec centers being opened up and extra shelters so that everyone has somewhere to go. Are, are people still being turned away even when it's, you know, dangerously cold outside? Yes, they are. And the city enforces these laws without regard to the weather. You know, we, we allege in our complaint, people are getting ticketed for using a sleeping bag, for using a blanket when it's freezing and when it's below freezing out, when it's actively snowing, when there are inches of snow on the ground. And just to clarify, the city of Boulder's camping ban specifically allows people to be ticketed for using a blanket while sleeping outside, which is, you know, somewhat ironic because when a person is turned away from the shelter, one of the only things that the shelter can offer is a blanket. Correct. So it's it's absurd if you think about it, right? The city is encouraging circumstances that expose people to risk of severe harm and death. And folks ask the police, right, where am I supposed to go? And the police don't have an answer for that. They're still ticketing people. Yeah. 
Absolutely. What does getting the ticket do? I mean, it feels just incredibly short-sighted, right? I mean, the way the way I perceive it is not knowing or feeling maybe overwhelmed by what it actually takes to address this housing crisis ultimately is what we've got. And I think the policing route is a band-aid, right? It's, I don't know what to do about this problem. And so I'm just going to try to push it out of sight for now. Um, and maybe that is politically expedient in the short term. I'm not sure. This is all conjecture on my part because I have a hard time understanding it in any other way. So the ACLU originally filed this lawsuit in the summer, I think in May, and then Boulder since then has tried to get it dismissed. Now it looks like finally it's moving forward. But since then, I mean, in the most recent city council budget, they allocated more money to law enforcement enforcing the camping ban. And they're talking about shortening the wait period between when they notify someone that they're going to take all their stuff and when they actually do it. And it just seems like in spite of this lawsuit and all of the discussion, the only action that's been taken is that Boulder is continuing to enforce even more so the camping ban and this this practice of policing homelessness. And I mean, then also there's the day shelter. We still don't have a day shelter or any plan for one. Do you think that this judge's decision to not dismiss this lawsuit will affect any of that? I can only hope so. You know, I it is amazing to see Boulder and not just Boulder throw so many resources at this one tool of policing that we know doesn't work and is just cruel. And, you know, you asked, what is the impact of getting a ticket? And I, I gave a very, uh, you know, lawyer response about, you know, will they go to court and X, Y, Z happens. The consequences are much broader than that, right? It, it erodes trust. It, it scatters people around. It makes it harder for them to access their services. When the police take their things, you hear tons of stories of folks losing their their most important documents. Um, and without those, it makes it harder for them to do things like get into housing, get on food stamps, do all these things that would help add stability. Policing as our number one mode of response just completely erodes that stability. And so it's incredibly frustrating. I can only hope that this order gets us further in the direction of actual solutions. Is there anything else that you would like to tell listeners before we let you go? I just want to, I guess what I want to add is this issue is so unnecessarily divisive, it seems to me. I think there is actually a ton of common ground. And if we can just be clear-eyed about the fact that I think all of us want to see fewer people needing to, to survive outside on the streets, then maybe we can start having some some real conversations about how to move toward that world that we want to live in. But it will require treating everyone in Boulder, all residents of Boulder, as city council's constituents, right? Boulder belongs to Boulderites, and that includes its housed and its unhoused residents. And we need to figure out how to live together and in a way where everyone has their basic rights, basic dignity respected. Annie Kurtz is a lawyer with the ACLU. Annie, thank you so much for talking with me. I appreciate you for having me on here and the chance to talk about this wrong.
For KGNU, I'm Alexis Kenyon. Last Wednesday, Montrose County School District officials teamed up with local law enforcement for their latest risk assessment and prevention training around the mass shooting epidemic. The school district has previously been targeted by the same swatting calls that hit over a dozen Colorado schools two weeks ago. For Rocky Mountain Community Radio, Cassie Neust of KVNF has more. These events, unfortunately, are happening with some degree of frequency. That's Matt Jenkins, the public information officer for Montrose County School District, following the district's latest risk assessment and prevention training around the mass shooting epidemic. And regardless of what happened a month ago or six months ago or six years ago or 25 years ago or or longer, you know, the need to work together to keep each other safe is not going away. The school district is looking at prevention instead of reaction when it comes to the threat of mass shootings hitting the country. Montrose County School District leaders teamed up with local law enforcement last Wednesday to learn more from experts about threat assessment and prevention in schools. One expert was Mark Fullman journalist and author of Trigger Points, Inside the Mission to Stop Mass Shootings in America. Fullman began creating a public database of mass shootings in 2012 and has since performed various investigations into gun violence. Here's what he had to say about a recent opinion poll. One of the questions was, are mass shootings something that we just have to accept? Almost 50% of the people answering the survey said yes. I couldn't believe it. That's just remarkable to me that people could feel that way. We just have to accept this. Montrose Police Commander Matt Smith echoed sentiments shared by school officials, adding that student safety is a top priority for the community. And for Montrose, the path to community safety means prevention. This means helping students before they reach the point of no return. It's not a punitive uh, system. It's not something where the goal is to uh, take someone to jail or anything like that. It literally is based on prevention and collaborative measures to keep kids in the community safe. Community engagement and continuing education are ongoing priorities for both the Montrose School District and law enforcement. For KVNF, I'm Cassie Knust. We go now to Chris Moore's weekly commentary, Make Them Hear You. Make them hear you. Make them hear you. This is Make Them Hear You with ideas on how you can have your voice heard before Congress. In a recent op-ed in the New York Times, Joe Biden laid out a specific plan to preserve Medicare past the year 2050. Here is what Biden proposes, quote, the Inflation Reduction Act ended the absurd ban on Medicare negotiating lower drug prices, required drug companies to pay rebates to Medicare if they increased prices faster than inflation, and capped seniors' total prescription drug costs, saving seniors up to thousands of dollars a year. These negotiations, combined with the law's rebates for excessive price hikes, will reduce the deficit by $159 billion. My budget will allow Medicare to negotiate prices for more drugs and bringing drugs into the negotiations sooner after they launch. That's another $200 billion in deficit reduction. Second, let's ask the wealthiest to pay just a little bit more. My budget proposes to increase the Medicare tax rate on earned and unearned income above $400,000 to 5% from 3.8%. My budget will also ensure that the tax that supports Medicare can't be avoided altogether. Mega Republicans have a different view. 
They want to repeal the Inflation Reduction Act. That means they want to take away the power we just gave to Medicare to negotiate for lower prescription drug prices, get rid of the $35 per month cap for insulin we just got for people on Medicare, and remove the current $2,000 total annual cap for seniors. If the MAGA Republicans get their way, seniors will pay higher out-of-pocket costs on prescription drugs and insulin, the deficit will be bigger, and Medicare will be weaker. The only winner under their plan will be Big Pharma. That's not how we extend Medicare's life for another generation or grow the economy, close quote. On the Republican side, Donald Trump has warned his party that, quote, under no circumstances should Republicans vote to cut a single penny from Medicare or Social Security, close quote. And since Biden's plan also calls for more oversight of Medicare payments to private insurers via the Medicare Advantage programs, Republicans like Joe Cotton are accusing the Democrats of cutting Medicare. In recent weeks, the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services has released two rules aimed at reducing overpayments to Advantage plans while increasing oversight, moves long recommended by nonpartisan government watchdogs and economists. Quote, Joe Biden is trying to gut Medicare benefits. Seniors can't trust Democrats to protect Medicare, close quote. Organizations representing Medicare Advantage plans have just spent over $10 million running ads accusing the White House of cutting seniors' benefits, a tactic the industry has used before to avoid changes to the program. If you have thoughts on Medicare, you can contact your senators and representative. This is Chris Moore with Make Them Hear You. It's now time to check in with herbalist Brigitte Mars, who brings us her weekly episode of Naturally. Greetings. Welcome to Naturally. This is Brigitte Mars. What can we do to have a healthy mouth? Well, I always think it's good to speak affirmatively, not swear too much, and, you know, to speak truthfully. I think that's always a good place, you know. There's a line in the Bible where Jesus says, it's more important what comes out of your mouth than what goes into it. And I totally abide by that. However, I'm also really into what goes into our mouth. So good dental hygiene is so important. You can floss. You can use those little proxy brushes. I have been finding these, you know, toothpaste that have uh, charcoal in them are wonderful. Of course, I'm a big fan of everything Dr. Bronner's. Dr. Bronner's peppermint soap and don't brush your teeth with that so much. Try the toothpaste, but uh, they have some really great products. The question about fluoride is, is it really beneficial in preventing tooth decay? And studies show that it is beneficial when used topically, whether in a toothpaste or a mouthwash, but it's not a necessary nutrient that should be going in our water. Another good way to get fluoride is by drinking things like green tea and eating some sea vegetables. And we could do a whole show on fluoride, but I'm going to skip the politics here um, and just say a water pick can save your teeth. So a water pick is like doing an oral irrigation, and you can put a few drops of essential oil in your water pick. Some of my favorites might be tea tree, peppermint, clove. And so this is a great way to not only increase circulation to your teeth and gums, but also wash away plaque. So one of my strategies for retaining my youthful girlish figure, even though I'm in my seventh decade, is right after an early dinner, I do all my dental hygiene, the flossing, the brushing, the water picking, maybe even the coconut oil pulling thing. And then 
the kitchen is closed. You can tempt me not with spirulina nutritional yeast popcorn, one of my favorite snacks. Tempt me not. I have done my dental hygiene, and I will not eat again until the morrow. <laughs> Maybe that'll help you. So be true to your teeth, or they'll be false to you. And, uh, you know, uh, a lot of people have been saying, hey, don't let them put mercury fillings in your mouth. Do you know the term mad as a hatter came from hat makers dipping their felt in mercury solution and shaping them into these grandiose chapeaus? And then they got this like, you know, disorder where they kind of like couldn't really walk or talk that well. And they said they were mad as a hatter. That's from mercury. So find a dentist who's more holistic than that. Thanks for joining me, Brigitte Mars, on Naturally. That's going to do it for today's Morning Magazine. I've been your host and producer, Shannon Young. Special thanks to Alyssa Palazzo, Jake Crowley, Rachel Lederman, Alexis Kenyon, Rocky Mountain Community Radio, Chris Moore, and Brigitte Mars for their contributions to today's program. Stay tuned for A Public Affair with Kim Mooney. That's coming up after the latest commentary from Jim Hightower. But first, the headlines from the BBC.